Hello and welcome to World in Union, the Bozzari Rugby Show. I hope you've recovered after the Bank Holiday weekend because we certainly haven't. There's no Mick McCarthy with us today, but instead we've upgraded and PJ Brown is with me in here. PJ, how's it going? Good, Morris. Thank you very much. Making my uh, podcast debut. For, yeah, for the rugby show. Rugby show podcast debut. I, I think it shows the uh, the squad depth we've developed. <laughs> it's not a it's not an ideal one to make your debut on after a, a pretty disappointing weekend. Alden said. No, there there could be better circumstances. Certainly, uh, there's kind of there's two strains of reaction to this game, which I find interesting. So there's the one which is the kind of concern about players we would have assumed were core players and just a sheer mountain, but is out of form. And then simultaneously, there's also this concern about the coach and maybe. He's fatigued or maybe he's looking towards what's going on at the end of the year and it seems to be like really reactionary it's either it's all one the player's fault or it's all two the coach's fault the kind of facilitating the idea that it might actually be both doesn't seem to be uh beyond anyone's radar right now mm, definitely we're in a strange situation i think because we've never had to analyze schmidt to this extent before i think really certainly in the last but since the last world cup We've we've won what twenty one of twenty four games. Yeah, exactly. And now this disappointment has really come. It's really intense all of a sudden. Um, we will talk some more about that game after. So we're going to pick the Ireland Rugby World Cup squad based after what was a pretty disappointing Six Nations campaign. All being told, we're also going to catch up with former Connacht prop and now current coach with Hong Kong Rugby Union, Brett Wilkinson. Um, I spoke to Brett earlier, kind of about the development of rugby over there and his own transition into coaching. Um, before we do so, we probably should say something about Wales, who were probably deserving champions. Deserving champions without ever being necessarily that impressive, would it be fair to say? I doubt they were impressive in, but probably against Ireland. I yeah. They were, they were pretty impressive. But you look back to that first game against uh, France. I mean, if Aha Mahina hadn't thrown that ridiculous pass, then, well, they might have been not going for a grand slam. It could have been a completely different tournament for them. Joe Smith actually referenced that after the game. It makes you... I was just looking at their their World Cup route now and they I think they would fancy their chances of making a final to be honest I think their group is pretty nice after they have Georgia, Australia, Fiji and Uruguay in their pool that would set up a quarterfinal against France Ireland or South Africa in a semi-final and New Zealand in a final and it's funny you know one that we had um, Brent Pope in here yesterday for a separate show that we do and he was talking about the fact that he met Tony Brown and Jamie Joseph the two New Zealand coaches who are currently working for Japan during the Ireland-England game he met them here and to, they admitted to him or basically said as much as that they were going to target one of their pool games against Ireland or Scotland because of what that would do for them as a home nation you know to get to a quarterfinal against New Zealand and suddenly that pool doesn't look as straightforward as maybe we initially thought. When that World Cup um, schedule came out first we were really optimistic yeah. about it obviously at the time we were on a this huge high and we were talking about oh this is very different to the last world cup where we had our last game was against france the big game of the tournament and that that really cost us badly because we lost what sexton o'connell and i think omani yeah in that game and we kind of looking at an ideal and we're now all of a sudden after this six nations we're we're kind of i don't want to say scared but we're a little little (laughs) bit more wary about what what might happen there we'll talk more about the the world cup and the, maybe the potential squad for that in a couple of minutes but firstly we're going to hear from brett wilkinson who started out with connaught's and was forced to retire early and is now engaged a kind of fascinating route through the al all the way to hong kong where he's coaching now so to start things off i asked brett just how did this journey come about um so i'm employed by the hong kong rugby union so okay. um and then I also am a head coach of one of the premier clubs that play in the club rugby competition over here. Um, so, yeah, I, um, 
I'm the national scrum coach with the Hong Kong uh, rugby side. And then I'm also a scrum coach for um, a team called the South China Tigers, which have just uh, joined Global Rapid Rugby. Okay. Um, and then previously to that, I was a forwards coach for the Hong Kong under-20s that competed in the Junior World Trophy. Brilliant. Well, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So yeah. I, I might ask you about how that came about as well. Um, we might start with just transitioning to coaching first and kind of build up to there if, uh, if that works. Yeah. Um, so, you know, kind of during my, my playing days, I always knew that I wanted to get into coaching at some stage. Um, it came a lot earlier than, than expected when I, when I got injured and had to in my career early. Um, so yeah, kind of went straight into coaching. Um, a coach with the Corinth, the Corinthians, uh, under twenties was my first kind of coaching gig. Um, and then I moved up and, and coached Bucks for two years, Buccaneers and Athlone. Um, and, you know, we got we got promoted there into 1A and did well. And then um, through a former colleague of mine, Dylan Rogers, this this opportunity in Hong Kong came up to to come over here and coach. Um, funny enough, I actually coached him. Um, he was still playing here and he's just retired this year. But, yeah, I was his coach. And Dylan obviously represented Hong Kong, but um, he's just recently retired at the end of the season. So... That's kind of how this whole opportunity came up. And Brett, for those who don't know, uh, retirement, as you mentioned there, came early because of injury. And I'm kind of curious, the idea of staying involved in the game after playing career, was that always on your mind? Um, yes, it kind of was. Um, I suppose it was It was definitely kind of ingrained that I wanted to coach um, because I had a couple of months away from it. Um, yeah. and, I suppose I really missed the environment. I really, I really missed things there. And I suppose coaching was the next best thing, but um, it's always something that I've wanted to do and it's, and it's a passion of mine. So it was kind of a no-brainer. It was just kind of where I'd, where I'd start. Okay, yeah. So then based off of that, the idea of staying involved in rugby, like I know, I actually remember when you first retired, you were very praiseworthy of somebody like Dan McFarland. And it's funny to see the impact he's made in Ulster. It was probably no surprise to you, was it? Um, no, I mean he's a he's an excellent coach, and I think um, you know him spending time with Glasgow and then with Scotland, um, you know, it's kind of made him an even better coach. So it's no it's no surprise to see him, you know, doing so well at Ulster. And those kind of coaches, like your exposure to people like Eric Elwood or Pat Lamb or even Dan, does that influence your own coaching now? Um, yeah, it does. You kind of um, obviously I'm my own coach and have my own philosophies and own ideas, but. Um, you do learn a lot from them, and you and you take those good nuggets and those golden nuggets from them, and you can you kind of you know fit it to suit your way and your style. But um, you know, as a coach, you know, and speak for myself, you always will. I'm always willing to learn. I think you know the day that you think you can't learn anything as a coach, the day you know you'll you'll struggle. So, I suppose you know it's it's always the game is evolving. Coaches have to evolve. So you know, it's, it's just picking up nuggets from different coaches, different ideas, and and you know, putting your own spin on them. Because when you played as a prop, which is such a specialist position, the idea that maybe, I don't know, were other facets of the game necessarily in your wheelhouse? Like, would you have to expand your own rugby IQ based off that as well? Um, yeah, um, I, I suppose being a prop um, is obviously you know, the dark hearts and those specific set of skills. Yeah. But, um, you know, scrum coaching comes pretty naturally to me. Um, you know, line out as well, you know, forward orientated uh, comes quite, naturally to me but yeah in terms of you know back play and 
and defense and all, all all the rest of the game, you know, I've, you know, I've had to learn. Um, and you learn on the go. You learn from other people by talking to people um, and coaching with other coaches. I mean, over here in Hong Kong, we have some some awesome coaches that are over here, um, and we we kind of learn and bounce off each other. So you know, it's a great learning environment over here to develop as a coach. And as you mentioned, you started your coaching career as well as your playing career in Ireland. And I'm kind of curious. Would it ever be on your radar in terms of to return to Ireland that maybe this developing this experience and this learning might be applied here? Um, yeah, um, absolutely. I, I'd be open to kind of any opportunities, any ideas. Um, my, my wife's from Ireland, so you know I'd love to come back one day and and, and you know everything I've kind of learned uh, along the way, different experiences here in Hong Kong will hopefully you know set me up in the future, you know, to uh, make me a more rounded coach uh, and have a different set of uh, and a wide set of skills yeah i suppose based off that idea as well you mentioned the scrum there i think the one of the most curious evolutions in rugby over the last couple of years is the development of props and maybe what they're uh, necessarily expected to do and i'm wondering yeah. like from your own perspective when you're dealing with players now how much of that is applicable from how you played like how quickly has the game evolved in this kind of short space of time yeah it's it's kind of evolved real quickly um i suppose you know a couple of years before us, so, you know, I, I made it in the professional kind of setup and game. It just props were bigger, heavier, um, less mobile. Um, and then it came around where props were maybe a little bit lighter, but more explosive, more dynamic, um, and would kind of be maybe a bit lighter. But I suppose it's carried on that trend now that, I mean, you see a Tyg Furlong who, who's, who's, who's massive. He's a big boy, but he, he can also shift. Um, he's dynamic, he's powerful, same as Keane Healy. I mean, they're, they're props all over the world that are, um, you know, other than they're scrumming, they're adding in other facets of the game. In open play, they're skillful, they're making line breaks. So, um, yeah, the kind of evolution of prop has, has escalated quite quickly, I feel. How, how closely would you follow those trends in rugby, not just in terms of kind of uh, kind of forward play, but like, for example, one of the biggest ones in the Six Nations is this kind of this kicking, attacking game plan that seems to have really evolved with England and Ireland seem to follow suit. Is that stuff you mentioned learning? Is that stuff that you would pay close attention to? Yeah, you, I mean, as a coach, you've you got to learn the whole time. Um, and the, the game changes, you know, month on month, season on season. You see different teams come in with different patterns, different ideas, and you kind of have a look at it and see if it works for you. If you know if it does, you, you bring it in. But I think as a coach, you just got to evolve the whole time and, and stay with the game. You know the game is evolving, so as a coach, you got to stay with that and and be open to any ideas. Okay, yeah. So for example, when you're watching maybe games in the Southern Hemisphere or even Six Nation games, that's stuff that you could apply in your own role with Hong Kong, is it? Uh yeah. Um, I suppose rugby over here is quite a little bit different. Um, okay. Most of the rugby. Uh, you don't really play in the rain hardly ever it's uh you play mainly on 4g pitches it's hard it's quick um it's skillful um so it's a little bit different in that way but um yes there are definitely certain things that you pick up um in the northern hemisphere even in the southern hemisphere um you see teams do it and you think yeah i can add that let's do that let's give it a crack um we'll see what see how it works and it's just you know kind of until you do it you won't know so you just got to give it a go does that make the process of watching rugby uh, slightly less enjoyable? Like I remember from when you were a coach yourself, like one of the things you were really passionate about was the breakdown and this kind of like control aggression within that area. And that was something that I kind of started to notice as I watched the game back myself. But does it kind of depart from the fact that you can't ever 
sit down and just watch rugby like you're consistently learning yeah it's um you do watch you know once you're coaching you do watch a rugby game in a whole different perspective um yeah you you, you watch it differently you watch everything really you, you you're watching breakdowns you're watching scrums lineups attack plays defense um you know there's whole different uh, aspects you can watch um so yeah, to get like a true reflection, you do watch a game a good number of times and you probably pick up stuff every time you watch it. So, Just before you go, I suppose one of the things that we've spoken about previously in this show, uh, we had Daniel Leo on last week and it's the presence of rugby in these kind of lower tiers and what's being done to develop it. And I'm wondering about like how present is the sport in Hong Kong? Um, yeah, um, rugby's, rugby's growing massively at a rapid rate um, in, in Hong Kong and in Asia. Um, you know, the... Obviously, the Rugby World Cup being in Japan has, has brought a lot of interest to that. But, um, yeah, it, it's growing fast. Um, there's some quality coaches over here that are coaching, and uh, it's about just developing it, really. So, you know, one of the, the club I coach at, um, Sandy Bay, um, it's got 800 million youth kids playing the game. Wow. Um, and that's just that's just underage. So, you know, they're big clubs. There are a lot of kids playing the game. Um Couple that, you know, it's about developing the the local talent as well, um, and, and bringing through obviously with world rugby and this new five year rule. You know, we've got to here in Hong Kong develop local talent, people from the area. Um, so it's it's very different. You also get then the expats that live here, um, that are maybe born here, go and study over in the UK or Australia, New Zealand, and then look to come back and play rugby. So there's a whole pool and different mix of of players, which which makes it interesting. So that's part of your brief, is it developing players? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the club I coach in, you know, I'd I'd be um, working from the top, you know, down to the bottom is is, is developing players. Um, you know, I, I was forwards coach in under twenties, which you know that's part of the role too, is you know spotting talent coming through and, and developing them, and especially in 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 the club, it's, it's recognizing any talent and and giving that pathway. So, you know, out of those kids that play in the mini and youth, they progress to, you know, 14s, 16s, 19s in our club. And then make sure that they then come into a senior section where you have kind of a second team and a first team. Um, so making sure that there's path, there's a pathway there for them. So that's probably a big evolution for you as somebody who might be used to like a Pat Lamb meticulous approach where it's, you know, really fine details as opposed to something a bit more holistic. Yeah, there's dealing that side of it. And then there's obviously the other side of it, which I've just spoken about. Um, but it, it, it's really, really good in, in that learning as a coach. You kind of, you know, you're working on a whole set of skills that um, will put you in good stead um, come the future because you're dealing with everything, um, which is great. Just before you go, I'm curious, well, you're kind of, again, outside the bubble and looking back at Ireland and the Six Nations and there seems to be a lot of... Um, there's a lot of panic right now in the nation. I'm wondering, from your own perspective, how would you look at where the, this team is at now and kind of the evolution of, I suppose, the show Schmidt reign? Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, it's clearly the, you know, the, the Six Nations, you know, there's a little lack of confidence there, but I don't think it's anything to panic about. Um, okay. You know, that can come back real real quickly and real, real easy with players. Um, and it doesn't take much to kind of, turn that around um i'm sure that they, they look like they're on the right track but maybe that little lack of confidence has just maybe let them down um but as i say confidence can come very quickly and suddenly what they're looking to do sticks so um 
yeah, I, I wouldn't be panicking really. I'm sure there's a there's a plan in place, um, and you never know. I mean, they might they might peak at the right time, come World Cup time. So um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see the progress. Because one of the ideas maybe was this idea that when you know there's not a strike player or a set move and things go wrong, that there's not necessarily an ability to play off the cuff. That maybe they're too ingrained in in the system. And when you look back at kind of the Connor teams that you developed on, it was nearly the opposite to that. That there was a lot of kind of off the cuff stuff. And I'm wondering when you look at the current Irish team, like would you see any, I suppose, resemblance or th- uh, you know strength to that kind of criticism? Um, yeah, there's criticism there, but. I think it's also that again it comes down to confidence is that players you know having that confidence if pictures change to to kind of do something different so or to adapt on on, on the fly so um yeah I, I say a lot of it just comes down to that confidence when the confidence is low you probably just go back to what you know and yeah. kind of you know stick to exact uh in, what's ingrained in you really but um as pictures change when you have that bit of confidence you, you tend to try something different or try something new finally just before you go uh, everyone here I suppose from an Irish perspective and even tier one is kind of building towards a world cup for Hong Kong and for your own ambitions like what does the next year hold um, yeah so um, Hong Kong made it uh, to the rapid charge but didn't make it through the world cup so um, you know here in Hong Kong we're kind of starting a new five year cycle so aiming for the next world cup um, there's some exciting rugby on, on the horizon for us. I mean, obviously, there's global rapid rugby and us being the South China Tigers in that. Um, and then there's also the Asia Rugby Champs, which is your international window block for, for Hong Kong to play. So, you know, it's, it's kind of building with that plan for the next uh, for the next five years and trying to qualify for the next World Cup. Brett, thanks a million for joining us today. No worries. Thanks a million. That was really fascinating stuff there from Brett Wilkinson, current coach with Hong Kong Rugby Union. The idea of being a coach and not only trying to, you know, refine a top senior nation, but also trying to develop, you know, these ideas of developing players as well, kind of this dual effect is a is an interesting one. I think it's probably one of the biggest challenges. A, you know, you're not only focused on results, but you also have to focus on performances because you're trying to rise the standards, you know, across the nation. I guess speaking of that and standards in the nation, the Ireland World Cup pool. Um so we've sat down and we've looked, both picked our squads. Neither of us know who the other one has picked. I don't know about you, I found this to be a, a lot easier than I thought it would, which kind of has me concerned about the level of competition maybe in the squad right now. Yeah, we, we talked about, always talk about, oh, there's so much depth in Irish rugby now. And it, it, there probably there is in comparison to the past and certainly to the four years ago, which was like a major problem. And Schmidt has spent the last four years developing a squad. But when you look at it... The, like putting this squad together you're like you are thinking there's nothing really new about this and i'm not sure i'm not there is like odd player like larmer that mm-hmm. you're excited about it but in certain positions you're like that there is like a lack of kind of freshness to, which you would you would like to see after that six nations and to what extent do you think that's down to the, the idea so we always on this show every week we've done the team we would like to see start for Ireland, and it's always different to the team we think we'll see because these teams are slightly predictable purely down to the fact that Joe Schmidt loves his systems and loves to expose players to camps previously and builds them in. So the idea of a bolter is a lot less because they wouldn't have been exposed to you know, these massive standards and the regiment's demands that they have of them. And because of that, that you maybe are you slightly limiting the pool of players you can pick from? Because as we mentioned, the standard is actually out there. Possibly you are, yeah. yeah. We're going to start, um, I think we've both gone for a 17-16 split between forwards and backs. I think so, yeah. 
Um, so we'll start with the pro- uh, in the front row, I guess. And props, my five were Ty Furlong, Andrew Porter, Keen Healy, Marty Moore, and Dave Kilcoyne. So I've gone for Keen Healy, Dave Kilcoyne, or the Lufeds, Ty Furlong, Andrew Porter, and John Ryan. Okay, yeah. So pretty much very, very yeah. similar, other than what John Ryan or Marty Moore are going to do there. Um, I think everyone else kind of speaks for itself. The argument for Marty Moore that I would make, I know he hasn't actually been involved in the squad. He did train with them, but Marty Moore, I think, is starting to develop. Like the Ulster scrum has been phenomenal this year with himself and Eric O'Sullivan have been really, really good. But he's starting to develop to contribute more in kind of outside the game. This is what Brett spoke about earlier, this idea of props being expected to do a whole lot more now and actually be kind of more explosive and maybe slightly leaner and things like this as well within that. And I kind of see Marty Moore building that into his game now. So, and I guess when it comes to somebody like John Ryan or Marty Moore, two of them are experts in the scrum, but you'd probably favour a player who might be able to do more in the loose as well. Yeah, certainly if you're looking for like a kind of a replacement for Tyg Furlong, because that is, Tyg Furlong kind of changed the game a little exactly, bit. Exactly, yeah. And so if you're looking for more for a player like him, maybe, maybe it would be Marty Moore. And especially um, the kind of the exposure he's getting to somebody like Dan McFarland as well, who is so conscious of that stuff as, again, going back to what Brett said. Um, Hooker's... I think we're both going to go with three. Yep. It's probably going to come down to three of four. I've gone for Roy Best, Sean Cronin, and Niall Scannell. I've gone for Rob Herring instead of Sean Sean Cronin. So, and is that based off what you think should happen or what you predict will happen? For what I predict will happen. Yeah, so I, much, yeah. I can understand that level of thinking too. I would be kind of, I think it'd be really, really unfortunate if Sean Cronin is left out of the squad. I think there's no harm in including a player in a panel with the idea that he's going to be an impact sub. But if that's what his wheelhouse is and that's what he's established in Ireland and he always has this impact after an hour to come on and make these big 20-minute breaks, I think the reason that might be a problem for a tournament as a, when you've got a 31-man panel like they will do is because suddenly you might need these players to start more games. Mm-hmm. But is there anyone who's really going to argue that Sean Cronin isn't fit to start against Samoa or against Russia? I mean, he's... And it, you, <laughs> the best team in Europe right now and he's leading the standard there he's their top try scorer so I I would hope to see him involved but as I said I can kind of understand why people might think that especially given how the Six Nations went he might not be I did find it hard to believe Schmidt's argument after the, the, the Italy when he named the squad after the Italy game so that uh, for the France game yeah. that Krona be left out because they were looking to build a squad it, it just I don't know there was something about didn't kind of ring true and it is strange to kind of think that that Italy game could be Sean Grohn's last ever game for Ireland. It's fairly ignorant in the way to go out. <laughs> That's again. mental, yeah. yeah. Um, locks, I think this is pretty straightforward. I went with Ian Henderson, James Ryan, Devon Toner and Tiger Byrne. Exactly the same. So the only one that probably may be coming into this tournament, and maybe even for the Wales game, there might have been a slight question mark over Devon Toner. Mm. The reliance they have on him in the lineup right now, I think is really, really obvious. Now, you, yeah, you know, you're preparing on the fact that they had four different callers throughout this tournament and two different hookers and that kind of stuff will obviously impact your continuity. But when you're lining up standard against, I mean, the Italy game was down below 75%, the same against Wales, the times the ball was just going wrong. I think somebody as reliable as Devon Toner, who's such a specialist, makes, he's kind of probably the first name on the team sheet there. Uh, James Ryan just wouldn't be closely behind him. And then when you've got two guys like Ty Byrne and... Ian Henderson, who could bulk over the back row as well, it probably pushes them a lot ahead of somebody like Ulton Glan or Quinn Rue, who we both saw game time in the Six Nations. You know how much Schmidt kind of values a little bit of versatility on a bench, and it's even more important during a World Cup. Exactly. And yeah. it's like Devin Dorner, like you said, probably like he's the big winner from the Six Nations. He just realised all of a sudden, in his absence, how important he is. Yeah, how much we need him. 
um, the back row. So right now, I think I think he's going to go with a five split in the back row, as we mentioned there, because of the versatility of players like Ian Henderson and Tyg Byrne. So based off that, I went with Peter Matney, Dan Levy, CJ Stander, Josh Van de Fleer, and Sean O'Brien. I went with that. Yeah, uh, I've gone with Jack Conan instead of uh, Josh Van de Fleer there, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's an interesting one because... When, so I didn't include Jack Conan because of this idea, what we're talking about was versatility, but suddenly as you've said it, it dawns on me that the best backward partnership we saw in Six Nations was with Jack Conan in it, and it was because CJ Sander could play at seven as well, mm-hmm. which might allow him to come in there as well. The only thing I would say in terms of somebody like Van der Fleur or Dan Levy, we've noticed how important this kind of relentless work rate has been over the Six Nations, and guys like those who have a huge impact there, even the difference... Van der Flyer made when he came on against Italy to spinning up the gain line. He just loves tackling. He gets through a Trojan amount of work. I wonder will that stack in his favour coming down that way? If I mean, if you're talking about somebody who's in danger there, Sean O'Brien probably has to be on your radar too. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Dan Levy, another big winner from the Six Nations. His, his, he was so important last year. Yeah. And uh, again, you could see in his absence. There was a feeling after last year's Six Nations that Dan Levy, as long as he was fit, he's going to play every game possible for Schmidt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess if that was the pack we're going with, the only big kind of miss or player who misses out there is somebody like Jack McGrath, who, again, that probably comes down to the Six Nations and somebody like Lecoyne, who probably had, of all the people who actually played, <laughs> probably was one of the biggest winners in terms of the impact he had. Um, but that, who's to say over the next couple of months that a good run in Europe and him impacting off the bench wouldn't force his way back in there? Yeah, Jack McGrath hasn't had a good season. I mean, that, that's why he's looking to move to the Ulster. He's, not, he's just not playing a lot. Yeah, he just moment. needs game time, yeah. Um, scrum halves three this is probably one of the most contentious ones I've gone with Murray Marmion and John Cooney uh, same apart from I've gone Luke McGrath instead of uh, John Cooney sorry. okay yeah so just to base that off Kieran Marmion the Kimonas against and the wing against Argentina and did a brilliant job was also fantastic against New Zealand last year I think that stacks in his favour with somebody like Joe Schmidt um, he was out injured for the Six Nations and then the game he comes back he scores a hatcher for Connacht that did his chances no harm either Somebody like John Cooney can cover 10 as well. That's huge when you go to a World Cup, which is why I think he probably was edges ahead of somebody like Luke McGrath. Luke McGrath, who only has six caps for Ireland. Yeah. I was kind of surprised to see that. He's the least of them all. So I wonder, I think this might have been the plan all along, to be honest. I wouldn't be surprised to see Luke McGrath coming ahead of Kieran Marmion, especially given that Leinster are going to lock into European form right now, um, which I guess moves us on to the outhalves. I went with Sexton, Carberry and Ross Byrne. Uh yeah, I have Jack Carty in there. In, Ross Byrne didn't, didn't play in this. No, not in Six Nations, yeah. Not in yeah. Six Nations. Yeah. And just Jack Carty was great. When he came off the bench twice, he was brilliant. So I, I can totally understand why uh, you would go with someone like that. I mean, he's also, of all the kind of Irish out-offs here, he's most that reminds me of this kind of Finn Russell type of guy who mm. is liable to do just about anything and is brilliant kind of off-the-cuff rugby. I just, I wonder um, how favourable Joe Schmidt would view that, which I wonder how with that lend towards him but that's another guy by the way who could really benefit some from his province run now like the run Connacht on you would hope they would continue on with how they carried into this three week break and especially that will only stand to his progress he's actually the rise of Jack Harty has been incredible I mean who would have picked him like this time last year that Jack Harty was going to be st- coming off the bench in the Six Nations game pretty much no one would have thought and especially does that maybe go in against our argument that maybe Joe Schmidt is liable to include somebody a bolter as we said kind of on form a guy who wasn't on the radar what six months ago and then yep. suddenly comes into a Six Nations camp does really well and gets you know a reasonable amount of game time in the tournaments we did mention earlier uh, we were talking earlier before this 
Billy Burns as a possibility. I mean, he's he's playing really well for Ulster. He's Irish qualified, so there's no worries about residency or anything yeah. like that. Uh, he's only 24. And he's kind of like, again, this player, of all the Irish players who's well able to, or has exhibited, not well able, but has shown signs of this kick attacking game plan that mm. seems to be currency right now. Billy Burns is the most, that chip over the back against Leicester. I keep going back to that, but he... He spoke about this idea that there was nobody in the backfield and he could deliver a little chip over the top and get his wings onto the ball. I think he's a really rugby IQ is a word that's used a lot, but I think he's a really smart rugby player that um that could definitely see him bolt his way into this squad. He, he was actually he won a I think it was an under twenty world championship in twenty fourteen. I mean he's he has a little bit of tournament experience. <laughs> yeah. Um centers. Guy Ringrose Bundyaki, Robbie Henshaw. Uh yeah, I I've got well I have those three, and I have Will Addison in there as okay. well, who would would be back three cover as well. Obviously, yeah, you could play full back or outside center. So you you have Will Addison instead of I'm going to guess who who I have, which is Andrew Conway. That's correct. Okay, yeah. so the just to finish it out quickly, Keith Darrells, Jacob Scottdale, Rob Carney, and Jordan Larmer. Yeah. The yeah, so exactly. the last one that we're going to come down to is the Andrew Conway versus Will Addison. I would have been in a similar camp in terms of Will Addison's ability to force his way in, the fact that he can cover. Pretty much anywhere across the backfield, which I still think might force his way in. The only thing is he didn't play any minutes in the Six Nations, yeah. then got an injury. And somebody like Conway, who we keep going back to this idea of what are we going to do at fullback. Conway probably is the biggest winner out of what happened with Robbie Henshaw in terms of the fact that is it Jordan Lamar or is it Andrew Conway? He's back in that conversation now, which I think might lead him to be back into contention there. Perhaps, yeah. There's all, I mean, there's also the Simon Zebo argument. I mean, we're like... It is a World Cup year. Yeah. Maybe, maybe they should make an exception here. Do you think so? Yeah. Possibly. Yeah. I, I think he's, he's playing. I mean, anytime you see him playing for uh, Racing, he's, he's playing He's playing so well. Yeah. He's so exciting. He's like one of the few players, Irish players, who looks like he could create something out of out of nothing. See, my, my counter argument to that would be the like what it comes at a cost to. So if you look at somebody like Finn Russell and what he did against England at the weekend, basically single-handedly pulled Scotland back into that game. Finn Russell missed the game because he got concussed when he went back to play with Racing. Mm. And the fact that Ireland has control over their players and doesn't allow for those, I think you have to have a some sort of deterrent, the idea that you would leave for more money because there's always going to be, you know, there's always going to be more money outside of Irish rugby. It's too small a market and too small a nation to compete with the likes of France or even Japan or these kind of burgeoning nations now as well. And if there's not that deterrent, the idea that you might follow that, I just wonder what would happen for other cases like I, I i think it's a i can totally understand why people view it as a really strict and severe policy but i think it's one worth pursuing you think like zero been included in this world cup squad with like poke a hole in the dam here i just and we have it we'd have it would burst and I, like all of a sudden players start leaving left right and center if you're joey carberry and in two years your monster contract is up and you've got uh eight or nine or whatever let's say he's got you know a lump sum of f- figure coming from england or france or japan and you think that if you play well enough, let's say he goes to Toulouse and you, he knows that if he goes there and he plays well enough, that people will be clamouring for him to come back in and there's an idea that he could still play in a World Cup. Mm. Like, would, would the fact that that is there encourage you or not slightly encourage you to go as opposed to maybe if you knew by leaving there was no chance that was going to happen? Maybe, I mean, there is the thing with uh, playing in Ireland. Some players value it. The, yeah. the fact that they can have longer careers and I think that the, la- the lads who you'll have leave 
will be the ones who are later in their career. Was it Vivo 28? Yeah, Dunnick Ryan went before yeah. him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that I, th- I think that pl- players recognise while they might not be getting as much money, they they, they value having a, that longer career and the, they're, not, they're not playing as many games. Like it, it is a better lifestyle, I think, ultimately. Just finally on the Bolter's point, a couple of other ones that I think may be worth considering. Somebody like Caelan Doris, who has now played the last three weeks or three games in a row before the break with Leinster and has also has demonstrated signs of that um, that versatility that they obviously need. Somebody like Ulton Delan, who was really explosive off the bench and then the only thing is if somebody like Ulton Delan comes in, you're talking about, again, another player who's a specialist second row and not necessarily able to cover your back row, which might count against him. So there's a lot of players... like There's a lot of battles for third choices or for you know your fourth lock or your fifth prop but there's no real necessary i just wonder about the level of competition within the actual core of the squad and when you've got players such out of form and yet there doesn't seem to be a a willingness maybe to drop them what does that do to the squad mentality you kind of saw that with like with sexton and murray not playing well in the six nations there was kind of an unwillingness to to take them off i mean like when ireland were so far down against wales there was probably a chance there to like to, to take them off and give like Carty and Marmion a chance to to do something, show what they could do. Yeah, he he didn't give him the opportunity. And spe- yeah, and the, can you imagine what it would have done to somebody like Jack Carty to get that twenty five minutes exposure to a you know a jam packed Principality Stadium and at that level of competition, maybe what that could have done. I I totally agree. With you. I don't think it would have hurt. Um, I suppose just before we go, the only thing that you would hope is that these kind of players looking ahead now play themselves back into form in Europe and get back to their provinces and maybe that's what we need. Mm. Um, we're out of time. PJ, thanks a million. A, a strong debut showing. No problem, Mars. Thank you very much. Before we go, we just ask you to rate and review this podcast. You can get in touch on Twitter, Instagram or Facebook at balls.ie. Uh, Mick will be back next week, but in the meantime, mind yourself.